0: Do 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 do. Here we go. My name is Todd. And this is Gabby. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is a Conversations with People We Love podcast, which we haven't done in a while. But we have a special guest, and her name is Alexandra Solomon. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Alexandra here. She's a licensed clinical psychologist at the Family Institute at Northwestern University and a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Northwestern. She received her Ph.D. in counseling psychology and a graduate certificate in gender studies from Northwestern. During graduate school, she was awarded the John J.B. Morgan Fellowship and worked at the Family Institute at Northwestern as a research and clinical fellow. What else do you know about her,
1: sweetie? Uh, Alexandra treats individuals and couples. Um, She teaches a really popular course at Northwestern called Building Loving and Lasting Relationships, Marriage 101. Everybody needs that class. Everybody. This is, I mean, this is what everybody needs to be taking. Um, This, the undergraduate course, it combines traditional and experiential learning in order to teach students about key relational issues like mate selection, compatibility, conflict, acceptance, forgiveness. Love that. Um, With the ultimate goal of enhancing relationships and preventing problems. Preventing.
2: Welcome, Alexandra. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yes. So let me start by saying this. So we are here to talk to Alexandra. We were going to talk to her eventually anyway, because we have so many mutual friends and overlap. And um, obviously, Alexandra is from Northwestern, from the Chicago area. But she had this book coming out. When did we talk? September? We did. Yeah. And then we said, let's just wait for the book to come out because it came out in February. Mm -hmm. It's called Loving Bravely, 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to Help You Get the Love You Want. And I read this book on our vacation, on our spring break, and it is fantastic, you guys.
0: Sweetie would not stop talking about
1: it. It is fantastic. (laughs) And not only does Alexandra have such a fantastic perspective, but a lot of the research and teachers that she brings into the book are people that I already love and appreciate and admire and got to see them from a different perspective through your lens. And um, I think people who listen to this show are going to love this book. Did
0: you say the name of it?
1: I did, Loving okay. Bravely.
0: Loving Bravely, 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to Help You Get the Love You Want.
1: So when Todd picked it up last night, he yeah. said, oh, this is about relationships. Yeah, I didn't even know. So you didn't go the parenting route. You went the love route. I did. Yeah. I did. And was that, it, tell us why. Like, why was this the book you were going to write? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, in my heart, I am a
2: family therapist, a mm-hmm. marriage and family therapist, but really the the aspect of family that holds my passion academically, emotionally, clinically, most intensely is looking at couples and looking at the the intimate relationship. And I think just it, it brings together all of the work that I do. So when I'm mm-hmm. teaching undergraduate students, right, I'm, I'm with uh, 20, 21, 22-year-olds who are asking questions about what does it take to make a relationship work and how do you know if this is the right person. With my graduate students, I'm training them to work in the room with couples. So mm-hmm. I teach the couples therapy class and, um, and my clinical practice is, is almost all working with couples. Um, so it's, it's the dyad that holds my, has held my fascination for, you know, 20, my dissertation work was about the transition to marriage, sort of the identity changes that happen, um, as you transition to marriage. So it just kind of keeps me fascinated. I, I feel like I'm never, I'm, I'm yet to get bored really. Totally.
1: That's the soul work, right? People say to us too, like with the show, they'll say, do you guys ever like have a day where you're not sure what to talk about? Where like, no, I not necessarily. When That's I say not true. That, I do. Well, I, I don't. I, I know. I, I, <laughs> that doesn't mean that everything we talk about or everything that any of us teach is always applicable to everybody. But as far as diving deep in the information, it never, there's always something new to look at. Mm-hmm. That's right. I, you know, I also didn't say
2: my, my own marriage, right? So like I'm, of course. Um, we're almost 19 years into our marriage mm-hmm. and it's fascinating to me that I, I still am like figuring myself out, figuring him out, figuring us out. That's a... A, an ongoing course and in you and of itself. You
0: never get there. Uh-uh, no, nor should we get there. That's and right. when I say get there, I mean okay, now we are 100% connected with our partner all the time, everything is perfect all the time. That's simply not true nor should it be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's a struggle which kind of helps the relationship evolve. At least it is for me.
1: Oh yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of probably the feedback we get the most is when uh Todd and I discuss Arguments that we're having or discussions that we're having repetitively. Yeah. And maybe it shows up with different pants, but it's the same pattern. Right. (laughs) you know, like we'll be like, wait a second, this is the exact same thing we Uh talked about yesterday or three years ago. Uh So... Is that like, you know, why is that? Like, what is your view on that in marriage? Do you believe, even though I know the answer to this, I just want to hear how you evolve with this, Do you, like that we're supposed to be solving problems or that it's just constant, right. ongoing? You know who, the, the biggest aha uh-huh I had about this was a
2: few years ago reading Soulmates by Thomas Moore. Mm, okay. And, you know, I, I think as therapists, it gets real, as couples therapists, it gets really tempting just to, to get a problem focused, mm. problem solution, fix Kind of aspect going, right? People come in because they want their stuff fixed. Mm-hmm. And Thomas More had this beautiful way of talking about like the cyclical nature of every of nature, right? That everything is cycles. And so why would we act as if our marriages, our intimate relationships are linear, destination focused kinds of things and to kind of be fascinated by the cycles and the mm-hmm. cyclical nature of it rather than frustrated that here we go again. Mm-hmm. And I think the goal is is when we come around again, we come around with a little more insight, a little more curiosity, a little more self-compassion, a little more empathy. But I know, I feel real sure that Todd and I, my Todd, Mm -hmm. and I will be kind of going through the same stuff when we're 75, you know, and just different, wearing different, like you said, different pants. And I feel like I'm more humble with that. I'm more humored by it Mm -hmm. than I used to be. You know, I think I've sort of surrendered to to that cyclical nature of it but um, yeah. that's, a, that's a that's a paradigm shift, right? I think we're used to, I think, especially as Americans, yes. problem solving, mm-hmm.
1: fix it, like roll up your sleeves and fix it, get it done. I will never be that way again. I will never do that. I've Over. cast that aside, overdone. Now I'm this healed person. Yeah, even, right. even that relationship I've created with that word healed, um, I used to use it a lot, or this is something I'm healing, or this is a place that, you know, this needs to be healed as if there's a conclusion. When really healing is just the nature of the word. It's not an end. Mm-hmm. It's like an opening. It's like, this is something I'm going to look at and be aware of.
2: You know what I say all the time now is something I got from you guys at Zen Parenting this past year was, I, I don't know if it was an image you use or something you guys said in in part of your presentation was that idea of pain needs to be held, mm. not healed. That's, yeah. that, that just is, like yeah. was like a yeah. lightning bolt for me. And I have used it so many times and and uh, credited you when I do. Mm. But that idea of holding holding pain, just staying mm. present with pain instead of I have to heal it. I mean, I have clients and students who who take a really surgical approach, like I had to just get rid of this. Like, help yes. me cut this out, get rid of this, make it never.
0: And the word heal, that that's what the word means is to get past and to be held. Uh, that was a Jeff Foster quote that I shared. Mm-hmm. Our pain doesn't need to be healed. It needs to be held. And that it's such a simple difference in words, yet it's a world of difference is if we can make space for our pain to allow for it to come through, that changed, you know, Every now and again, you get hit over the head with a quote or a YouTube clip. That was one for me, like, oh, my God, that is the most important thing I've ever heard right. in my life, which is our pain doesn't need to be healed. It needs to be helped.
1: Yeah. So. Well, and, and then I'm going to go to a deep dive here into spirituality, but the understanding that going into that pain or looking at it or holding it and allowing for it is how then we see light. Mm-hmm. You know, like through that is how we get to light or experience. And when I say get to light, again... What I mean is how that's how we make the inner shifts or, you know, like you were saying, Alexandra, become more compassionate and become more conscious of ourselves and become more forgiving of ourselves and other people. If we skip over it, we were just having this conversation last night, Todd, about uh, skipping over pain. Yeah,
0: that was, I was listening to a podcast with uh Tippett, uh, Kristen, oh, yeah, on yeah. being. And she interviewed um Richard Rohr and he mm-hmm. talked about, uh, what were the three words? It was order. hmm uh, disorder and reorder, and order is the way you think you things the way you think things should be. And disorder is when things get messed up and reorders when you yeah. learn from it. And he, what he what Richard Rohr was saying is what a lot of us try to do is we try to skip over from order to reorder totally. without experiencing the disorder. And that was another metaphor Gosh. idea that I love.
2: I love that. You know, I had a, I had, um, I have office hours. I'm teaching my undergraduate class right now. It's a spring quarter class. And I had a young woman come to office hours and she said, like, I'm struggling with your book. I, you know, I'm the, each of the 20 lessons has some exercises at the end some Mm -hmm. journaling or some reflection. And she was working on a um, journal entry and something came through for her about a current – sort of a current stressor she's dealing with in her friendship group and it linked to something she experienced as a third grader and she was triggered you know she was stirred by it and she's like what do i do like how do i make that stop Hmm. and i you know i tried really hard to not smile because when somebody right someone's in pain it's not appropriate to smile but i was just like i so trust her journey i so trust that that connection can happen and can just open her more to herself and what she did which i thought was so beautiful she had gotten sort of you know teary and she turned to her boyfriend and she shared with her boyfriend the story of mm. the eight year old girl that she was and what had happened to her and how what's mm. happening today kind of you know is tied to it and her boyfriend just sat with her held mm. her you know held her and just kind of like bore witness to it and that's that order disorder reorder so i have every confidence that she and her partner frankly kind of came through that chapter of sadness with a greater understanding of who she is, who they are together, who he can be to her and for her and with her. Oh, yeah. But I but I get it. I mean, she was like it's kind of it's
1: scary. It's, messy. it's, it's messy. uncomfortable. It's messy. Right. She
2: yeah, this is not typically how she as a learner, right? She likes to kind of learn and master and and that kind of being emotionally stirred is That's not comfortable. That's just not comfortable. (laughs) The the word
0: messy is interesting. I was at yoga last week and uh, Sean, my teacher, he, you know, namaste means the light and the good in me sees the light and the good in you. And he was quoting somebody else's blog article and he said, instead of light, say mess, the messiness. The messiness in me sees the messiness in you. And Mm. I thought that was interesting because we so want to be removed from the messiness. Mm -hmm. And that's what the disorder box is that Richard Rohr was talking about.
1: Exactly. And then, you know, to to dive into that you know darkness light thing is what they just created in that scenario that you just talked about was intimacy mm-hmm. to me that's intimacy mm-hmm. she basically said i'm going to show you something of mine and it, I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't know what to do with it, but I'm going to say it. And he sat there and witnessed it and listened to it and said – and maybe not even with words, but I love you still or love you more or whatever it may be. And that's what I think intimacy is. So whenever – you know, and obviously intimacy can be connected to sexuality and everything, but I sometimes think we focus it way too much on sexuality and we forget that, that vulnerable piece. How old were these kids? Oh, she is – uh, they're 22. See, they're light years 22. ahead I
0: mean, yeah. of where most 22-year-olds. Because I could speak mm-hmm. as a guy. I remember I had a girlfriend in college and she shared something kind of messy. And I said, well, I don't want to hear that because it made me uncomfortable. Sure. And the fact that this guy mm. sat in that with her, I mean, most a lot of 45 or 65-year-old men won't do that for their wife. And then conversely, does the guy have the ability to share his messiness? I think it's mm. it's safer for a girl to share her messiness. But our culture tells us, no, guys, you can't be mis- messy. You have to have it all together. And so anyways, I think that's awesome.
2: That's right. I mean, I, I think about how many, you know, it, it is, I think that that process is really gendered. And I feel like so much of what I do when I'm working with a heterosexual couple is supporting him, just trusting that she doesn't need an answer. She doesn't mm-hmm. need a fix. doesn't need you to make her pain stop. Yeah. She needs to feel like she can kind of bump up against you and that you will stay, Near her, mm-hmm. and that's a, right. I mean, we we teach our men to be fixers and doers, mm-hmm. and make everything stop and protect, and mm-hmm. that, and then they get into intimate relationships. And what's asked of them is so radically. Different, different that we were
0: not taught because no, our dads didn't show it no, and everything else. No, uh,
1: uh-uh. And then we say, why aren't you sensitive? Why mm-hmm. don't you understand? And
0: my, and aunts, then, my answer is, it's because we were taught never to do that. So now you're teaching us something completely yeah. but
1: different. But then the next level is what then you share something with us and we're uncomfortable and we say, you're supposed to be my rock. Yeah. You're supposed to. So it's like <laughs> that, you know, we, we right. play with that so much. So I always say, like, as women, we need to take responsibility also for our expectations of the men in our lives absolutely <clears throat>
0: absolutely well and that's something that uh, every child needs to hear growing up in the school system but instead we teach him what the surface area of the formula for a surface area of a triangle or something like that. <laughs>
1: totally. Uh-huh. Totally. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So I want to get to, because I don't want to get too far away from, there's like, I have like a million questions in my head, you know, talking about your students and that story you just shared. So at the beginning of your book, you talk about how our, I actually, the past comes with us, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of people in their love relationships kind of are focused very on the present moment and how I'm loving now. But what you explain in the first couple chapters of your book is you're really not just loving this person now, you're using your past to love this person. So explain that so people understand why our past comes with us when we're in any intimate relationship.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the the sort of most straightforward way of thinking about it is just the, um, the profound nature of attachment, the way that when we are babies, right, we like literally biologically wire ourselves to the people who are taking care of us, that our attachment, like that relationships are not just sort of like this fairy fairy, like take it or leave it kind of thing, like relationships are in our DNA and our bones. They are the way that we regulate ourselves, feel safe in the world. So the profound nature of that first attachment experience is such that it stays with us. I mean, what we learn in our homes growing up about conflict, trust, safety, vulnerability, difference, all of those kind of early lessons. Uh, I mean, you guys know this better than anybody, right? Our kids are, they're watching, they're taking it mm-hmm. in. Um, how we are parented um, shows us, shows us what it is to be in relationship. And so uh, then there's nothing that shakes us up at that much as when we then fall in love, right? Yes. So falling in love is like a redo of that profound Um, dependence, stirring, and need. So there's been so much cool research in the area of attachment that shows that we need our intimate partners, not all that differently than babies need the caregivers Mm. who are in their world. And I think that's really, I give that message a lot because I think it's really normalizing. You know, I think it's easy to feel like you are somehow weak if your heart is broken or weak if your mood is somewhat dependent on the quality of your intimate relationships. But What that really is, is you're just really, really human. That's how it's supposed to be. Like we're supposed to matter to each other at that profound a level. Mm. So to me, the goal isn't to make it stop being like that, but it is to have the wisdom to understand that um, the way I experience you is always shaped by... My past. I'm never going to escape that. I can like figure out how to work with it. I can prevent knee jerk reactions. I can be mindful and curious, reflective. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to stop responding to you because those early templates are just real profound
1: cellular memory. Well, I uh, always I love that. You know, it's like that we. You know, Todd and I always say, or he. And again, this is what happens over the course of many years of you know relationship is. I will have a first impulse or maybe say the first, have a reactive response. Um, and I can actually say right after I say it, you know, that's just my first response. Right. <laughs> like, you know, I. Always, and your
0: first response is fear.
1: Yes. I, because mm-hmm. my.
0: For example, I'm going to let my buddy borrow our car. And I will say, oh, no, let's not do that. Right.
1: And then I'll say, okay, wait, now explain to me what's going on. Right. And so and now he's aware of that because that's been talked about so often that now he, he doesn't react to my first response and vice versa. Because, sure. you know, anything that's regarding money, God bless you, the first response is, Fear. yeah, he looks at me kind of like, we're not spending money, are we? So then he'll say, okay, now explain to me. Love it. I what, love right. It. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, the, you know, that cellular memory of, as you said, we're going to come from that place first. Well, but- and what's
0: tricky is, you you know, growing up we were given baggage by our parents and also been given really wonderful gifts from our parents mm-hmm. and I think uh, when I heard what you were talking about regarding understanding their past, what's tricky is the baggage is what I think are the triggers. So like when I bring my baggage to you, mm-hmm. um, hopefully you're in a good place to be able to receive that baggage and help True. me process. The worst is when I'm bringing my baggage to your baggage yeah. and that's when things get really yeah. messy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And ho- And that happens from time to time, but usually one of the two of us are not triggering each other.
1: You know, and again, total deep dive into a new conversation, but what is it, because you are doing so much, you know, you're working with couples Mm -hmm. in therapy. So what do you think is the thread that's running through the majority of the couples you're seeing. Like, is it lack of self-awareness? Is it that, that it's constant triggering without pausing? Mm -hmm. Um, You talk about pausing in your book, the necessity of actually pausing before Mm -hmm. responding. Um, What is the, do you, is there one thread or what are you seeing? The, to like the, the, the
2: grossest cut I could make of my caseload, like the kind of biggest dividing line to me are couples who get stuck in that, Finger pointing stance. Mm-hmm. Who who come into therapy like literally believing that that you know partner A literally believes that partner A and I are going to work together to fix partner B, mm-hmm. and partner B believes that partner B and I are going to work together to fix partner A. And that's a really that's a deeply held like it feel like it is literally the pair of glasses, right? It just is what feels like capital T. Truth, capital R, reality. Mm-hmm. And so I I can be real empathic with that as I soften it and as I watch the sort of like pale on their face, like, oh, seriously? Like you, me too. Me too? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's always a dance, right? It's always a dance. It's mm-hmm. always my stuff plus your stuff equals our stuff. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always. And so when couples can make that paradigm shift, like you're saying, the... My triggers and your and our triggers always. I mean, just because that's how the universe works. Like mm-hmm. in a couple system, our triggers are always um, sort of the yin to the yang. Like they're mm-hmm. always sort of lock and key. They always fit together. The more the more I pursue, the more you withdraw. The more I'm afraid, the more you get rigid. Whatever those things are, they really fit together in a way that can get polarizing. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of like to me that the, the line in the sand is how willing are you to start to hold up that mirror even though it's scary even though it's hard even though it doesn't fit with the way you have viewed the world for so many oh, years i mean for women it's all about right like Women have been told from day one that they are they own the corner on the market of intimacy. So, of course, she's going to come in, if she's married to a man, and believe that, of course, what we're going to do is work together, two gals fixing the guy.
1: (laughs) Totally. And that they have been fed. You know, we always talk about every age we've ever been still lives inside of us. And, you know, they heard as a 13-year-old or as a 17-year-old or as a 25-year-old, you know, men don't know. They're jerks. Or if we were hurt by a man, there is that sense of they don't understand, we understand. And so that, those messages are still inside of us even though we may be you know I'm across from you Todd and I know that you're not intending to hurt me I know that on a rational level but again going back to cellular you do something that I interpret as being disrespectful and I go back to that 22 year old who's like you're not going to do that right. to me you know mm-hmm. and so we also not only do we think like you said we have the corner on the market of relationships but we also have this messaging of that we need to I don't know if the right word is overpower, but that we know better. Well here's what I used Absolutely. To, here's yeah.
0: what I used to hide behind. I, I used to hide behind my intention. My intention was never to hurt Kathy mm-hmm. with whatever it is that we just got into a disagreement about. But then I had somebody come into my life and say, forget about intention, what's the impact? So the impact of my actions are really what I try to focus on now versus my intention. Because my focus is I love my wife, I never want to hurt her. So then I'm not at fault because my intention was always pure. <laughs> yes. But if the impact makes her feel less than because I'm looking at my phone while trying to listen to her and it makes her feel less than, then I got to take ownership over it. And, you know, kind of like what you said is everybody's always pointing their finger at the other one. It's really all about what we. We've talked about on this podcast for six years, which is, this is all about your own crap.
1: Mm-hmm. This is about
0: my crap. And it's just safer to point at the other person instead of look in the mirror.
1: Well, and that's something that you talk about in your book that Todd and I both picked up on, the asymmetrical revitalization, okay? And I, this is probably the most common question um, that we get, is what do you do if one partner is willing to look at themselves and the other is not interested? So, Alexandra, what do we do? That's, that's
0: an impossible question to answer, and I can't wait to hear you try. I know.
2: I would love to hear what you guys say about it because I get that question all the time yes. as well. Or I get the, how do I, right? So, so, one of them has the book, right? How do I get. It's usually a hymn. Yeah. How do I get him to read this? But, you know, it's really – we we can't ever – I mean, we know as as parents, we're, like, doomed the moment we start talking about how do we get our kids to da-da-da-da, you know? Totally. So, but we're more than willing – women, especially with men, are more than willing to do that. How do I get him to – It's. I mean, it's such a both and because – I do think the nature of masculinity and, and how we culturally condition men is, is that in the crucible of an intimate relationship with a woman tends to be, or I'm sure with a man as well, tends to be a space where he, for the first time, starts to peel back his layers and feels safe enough to do that. So I get that um, it's unfair to punish him for not being an awakened man and for awakening through the intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that that men especially ought to have credit for being willing to listen, be open and curious, and not be punished for not coming in with a super duper set of self reflective skills, unless they were raised in a family that really valued that. I don't know how else he would get it because by and large the messages we give to men are not totally real. It's a very like you know always be on top, zero sum, like never let it stick to you. Don't cry. You know those messages don't really foster intimacy so there's that's a piece of it i think
0: well my answer is um And it's more objective and more, you know, goal oriented or whatever. But um, because, you know, whenever Kathy and I talk to a group, most of them are usually moms and they always say to me afterwards, God, I wish my husband were here to hear Mm -hmm. this or something like that. And my thing is we have to, there's levels of relationship um, that I use. Uh, Level one is the two year old who is always about me. It's the me. It's about my needs. The level two is transactional. Like I will do for you, Kathy, and you do something back for me. That's the transactional. And level three is when you're giving for the sake of giving without having anything in return. Like it's, complete, it's a completely selfless uh, love, of love act. Yeah. And if one partner can do that, for 90 days, which is an, an almost an impossibility. But if you can do it and then there's still no shift, then you need to look at things. But don't even think about separation or divorces until you own the fact that you're going to give without getting anything in return for 90 days. And mm. if you could do that, then maybe you have a difficult discussion. I think what we do as a society is like, oh, this sucks. This is hard. I think I might have to get separated. So
1: what does Alexandra do when she's got a couple, though, in front of her? Who's going to do that? Or are they both going to do that? I
0: don't know. I don't work with couples. I only work with guys so I don't have an answer to that
1: he's like I get to just focus on one yeah
0: I don't know I don't know
1: <sighs> you know I mean
2: work with them individually yeah I don't know well, It also, I think right well I mean this is like the easy answer it starts it starts young it starts by like so when I've got you know 20 year old guys <sighs> in my undergraduate class I mean I have so the class is probably a third men yeah that's cool yeah. right that's great oh, like those great. guys are getting those guys are getting that message so early in their lives so so much of it comes comes that way but um, yeah, I mean, I I, um, I think couples therapy as a tool, right? Like, I get really bummed when I hear about pe- couples who are divorcing without having really given couples yes. therapy a try. And I, I hear, I feel similarly bummed when people come in for couples therapy with like one hand on the phone of a divorce lawyer, mm-hmm. and they kind of do it as a last ditch effort. So I I am really passionate about reducing the stigma. Towards couples therapy. Totally. So part of that asymmetrical vitalization aspect is um, I think it's a really big red flag if there's if somebody's saying, like, I don't believe in couples therapy. I think that's mm-hmm. a really – first of all, I don't get it because, like, it's a thing. It's not like, you know – Right. It's not a made-up thing not that only certain people theory. do. Right. Yeah, it is a thing. It's there. So we, 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 like, use so many other tools. We'll hire, you know, coaches and physical trainers and things like that. But I think couples therapy has this really – um, problematic stigma attached to it. Do you
1: think it's more so than individual therapy? I do. Oh, I do for sure. Oh, yeah. When people, I get uh, oh, wow. several emails during the week of people who want a therapist. And I've got wonderful people, including you, who, you know, I can, you know, say, go to this person, but they always start by like explaining. Either, you know, this is really no big deal, or I'm not even sure we need this, mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody else told me to do this. It's a, it's a very, and again, that can be true for individual therapy too, but it can be a very uncomfortable process to say, and I'll say this too, the individuals I work with, when they start talking about their marriage, they'll say, but I shouldn't feel this way, or they love me, and I know they love me, but this is going wrong, but it shouldn't be going wrong. There's this discomfort, and maybe it's just actually acknowledging that it's not the storybook thing that they thought it was going to be.
2: Yeah. Well yeah. Thank you, Disney, for right? raising us with the sort of like happily ever after.
1: Okay. Yes. So then what happened? What happened after they rode off into the sunset? With yes. This? Yeah. And they and people sometimes are so much more comfortable in their discomfort because they know what that looks like rather than taking the leap to therapy to say, I'm gonna change and I'm not quite sure what this is gonna eventually look like. Mm-hmm. And that and it seems crazy because they're uncomfortable in their discomfort, but it's like they can like they feel maybe more in control of, I know what tomorrow will be.
2: Right, that's right. We, um, at the Family Institute, we talk a lot about sort of like dose-based therapy, especially mm. for couples therapy. Like, I love the idea of couples as they are you know, thinking about moving in together or getting engaged or getting married, doing a dose of therapy, you mm. know, really getting like an understanding of the topography of their relationship, where are our strengths, where are our weaknesses, acknowledging that there are weaknesses or differences, and, and then another dose probably around, you know, birth of babies and yes. another dose around, Lord, how Help us, teenager, you know, all of that. There's sort of, I love the idea of just using it as a tool, especially around those transitional times when whatever you had, whatever deals and agreements and arrangements you had worked out kind of stopped working because now you've got, you know, babies or now you've got teenagers or well, now you've and, got an empty nest. And
0: what that does is um, what most of us do is we wait for the crisis and That's then we'll right. get the therapy. And your suggestion is brilliant because if we wait for the crisis, it's too late. It's not too late. It's much more difficult to fix things because the crisis is, is, you can't work on yourself or your couplehood when you're in crisis or it's not as easy to, whereas the time to work on ourselves is when times are good to kind of put deposits into the relationship mm. emotionally or individually.
1: I love, love dose-based. We mm-hmm. got to use that mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah,
0: that word, because everybody can understand what that means. That's yes, really good.
1: Because it's not such like, this is a long-term commitment. This is six months or there's something to solve necessarily. Because mm-hmm. again, like you said, people come in with that problem solving mentality. It's just let me, I look at that dose-based as being, I want to be at, like very keen on my self-awareness as I take this step Forward. That's kind of how I see that. For sure.
2: Yeah, for sure. And those conversations, like we were Sorry
1: for about the interruption,
0: the folks, but here's some more ways to get more of Zen parenting. Number one, you can join us for what's called Zen Talks. It's a subscription that offers three video podcasts a month. Join us live and we'll answer some questions. And if you can't join us, we'll email you the video recording. It's like three extra podcasts a month. Go to ZenParentingRadio.com and click events to subscribe. Number two, I coach guys. It's my business called Coaching for Guys helping you get from point A, where you are, to point B, where you want to go. We'll come up with a roadmap to get there together. We can meet face-to-face through a phone call or Skype. For session's free, go to toddadamscoaching.com for more information. Number three, Kathy offers individual sessions for women in Chicagoland. She focuses on women's self-awareness, marriage and parenting, and she also works with therapists and coaches who want support or supervision with their existing practice. Number four, March 2nd and 3rd of 2018, it's our Zen Parenting Conference. We'll be announcing speakers and opening up early bird ticket sales this summer. Zen Parenting Conference is always great, but this year it will be spectacular. We have fantastic speakers and we once again will be bringing together parents, teachers, authors, bloggers, and teens. It's a great way to network and find your tribe. If you're interested in sponsoring our 2018 event, email me at todd at zenparentingradio.com. Number five, if you are a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, you need to get Kathy's award-winning book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. You can find her book on our website, zenparentingradio.com or on Amazon. And number six, if you're looking for a keynote speaker or presenter, Kathy and I do speaking engagements all over the Chicagoland area. We'll focus on self-awareness, mindfulness, compassion, marriage, parenting, and how to live a more conscious life. Go to ZenParentingRadio.com to see all of our upcoming events, and thanks so much for listening. If you love the show, share it with a friend, like our Facebook or Instagram, or write a review on iTunes. We appreciate you, and we are thankful for your support. And now, on with the show
1: on my self-awareness as I take this step forward. That's kind of how I see that. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And those conversations, like we were talking about
2: before, the conversations that go round and round and round, that's a really good little red flag or cue that it's time to maybe have that conversation with a third person who's literally trained to listen in a particular way to understand your view plus the other person's view and how that's kind of interacting, right? I mean, that's a specific kind of training what's it interesting
0: is. is a dose-paced therapy is sounds like such a good idea but sometimes you're trying to convince that to a couple who aren't even going on dates with each other do you know mm. what i mean like oh we're too busy with the kids i'll ask a guy i'm having problems with my marriage oh when was the last time you went on a date uh well, we went out with another couple about five weeks ago i'm like dude No kidding, you're struggling connecting with your wife because you're not even going on a date with this woman who you married. And the kids are just the ultimate distraction because we got to give everything to our kids. I'm like, forget about your kids for a night and and, and engage with- your spouse
1: now i this is just coming into my head because we keep talking about um heterosexual couples like you are obviously as being a therapist as long as you have you work with gay and lesbian couples as Mm -hmm. well yes and do you find that the issues are pretty much the same i mean obviously genders are the same so they're not they're going to have similar backgrounds but are you finding that it's it's similar is it the
0: masculine feminine push pull within a same-sex couple or no
1: well,
2: I mean, I think it's a yes and no. I okay. think there are ways that same sex couples have busted open mm-hmm. certain paradigms anyways, right? They don't have the kind of easy go to role book that heterosexual yeah. couples have, like sort of for better and for worse. We're talking today about the you know, the worst, the ways that sort of our gender socialization becomes a trap. Yes. Um, I think, you know, the thing that really becomes Different and unique about being a same sex couple is the degree of support you have. Mm. And how it's such a reminder to me um, how much our marriages or our intimate relationships are um, deeply like personal just between the two of us, but also they're embedded in our networks. And the degree to which we have support from our networks, like a a sort of our tribe cheering Mm. for us, that makes a big difference. So, a, a gay couple or lesbian couple who doesn't have the support of their family. Um, you know, that's a unique set of challenges. And, um, hmm. and so then the work becomes kind of how to how to help them be in a con- – how to support them being in a context where they can really be affirmed. Because oh, if, if, if your love isn't being affirmed, it's really hard to stay in there just
1: the – Two of you, Mm -hmm. you know. it really is. It feels like the two of you against the world. And kind of like we have to make this work between us. And if we have any issue, then we're letting down everybody. You know, Mm -hmm. we're letting Mm -hmm. down our community or we're we're actually saying that the other people, what everybody said about us was true. Or even though those things are not true inherently, that's, I'm sure, the belief system. Absolutely right. It feels like a tremendous burden. Burden. Well, because I'm even thinking about um, in, you know, when there are people around you, like obviously Todd and I, we've been married for 15 years. You were just saying you've been married for 19, 19. years, 19. Alexandra. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, over time, there's been couples around us who have divorced, right? And when they have been people that we're really close to or a couple friends that we, you know, associated with or spend time with, it's been devastating for us mm-hmm. too, where we, you know, have been really good about having conversations about not about them and what they did wrong, but what happened overall. So we can continue to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. So just like you said about a tribe, sometimes even things that you think have nothing to do with you do affect you. There's ripples when people around you divorce mm-hmm. or have problems, don't you think? Absolutely.
2: That was making me think about, um, in a little less than a month, I'm going to go to do this um, like weekend summit in Vancouver. It's called mm. the Masters of the Universe Summit, mm. and there's just different speakers all weekend long. Oh, that's so cool. And one of the things I'm going to do is with a, a former... She was a student of mine, a um, marriage and family therapy graduate student of mine, and now she's a professional in New York, and we're going to work together with a real live couple and bring mm. them up on stage in front of you know the audience of 200 and do work with them. And that idea of the way in which we kind of anchor our own experience off of the couples we see around us and how watching somebody else do their work, watching a friends go through a divorce or watching um, just sort of when we bear, when we see somebody else's love, it kind of is like holding up mirrors and pulls out threads for us that then we can engage with within ourselves. Yes. Even if it's not us, there's, there are, you know, you know, pretty universal themes when it comes to love and intimacy sure. and relationship.
1: There is people say that all the time, like, well, you're going to pull one couple up on stage. That's just helping them, and absolutely not. Everybody is viewing that, as you said, through their own lens and having their experience. And there'll be discomfort. You know, people yeah. they'll be like, oh, you know, that sounds like me or that looks like me, and that, mm-hmm. and it's an opportunity for everybody to have an awakening mm-hmm. or an awareness. Um, I wanted to ask, again, because you're talking about your student that you're going to meet with at this, you know, summit, we talked right before we, you know, turned the microphones on about hookup culture, because this is, you are working with college students, you are working with people who are in their 20s or younger, a little older, who are having experiences with relationships, but not necessarily commitment yet. Mm So, you know, Todd and I went to college together. There was a hookup culture there. Of
0: course. I said that's what college is, is a hookup culture.
1: (laughs) Yet... It's gotta be different now with social networking, right? So what's different now, Alexandra? Yeah, I mean this is a
2: this is a big, big yeah. topic. I spend a lot of time. So I usually tell I usually start by talking with young people about this by saying that they did not coin the term hooking up, right? Like we coined that back in the day. <laughs> no, Ours. We were listening to Pearl Jam and I was I know I was wearing my father's plaid flannel shirts because the look then. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they've taken it to a new level. And there's a couple of things that I think the biggest things I think are different. First of all, uh, young adults are getting married later than any generation before. There's been a really big increase in um, in the age of entry into marriage. So it's like 29 for men and 27 for women. Even mm-hmm. higher with um, sort of higher levels of education. Mm-hmm. So there's literally just a problem that needs solving, which is what do you do between the ages of sort of sexual maturity and saying I do? You know, most of the most adults, most young adults will end up getting married. The marriage rate is lower, but Especially for college-bound, college-educated folks, um, you know the marriage rate is as high as it's ever been, Mm -hmm. so they will get married, but they've got to figure out how to fill that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a heavy, at least. the young adults that I work with there's such a heavy focus on on doing. They've been you know trained since they were little to be successful and ambitious, and so there's just a problem of like if I'm heading off to you know Rome after graduation and you're heading off here after graduation, I've got two master's degrees I have to get, and there's just a lot to get done. It feels like an inconvenience or an impediment to mm. fall in love. So I think those are pieces of it. Mm. There's um, I think something deeper about uh, fear of vulnerability, fear of getting broken hearted, and so. So separating out sex from emotional vulnerability, I think, feels tempting. I, sh- I sure get that. I sure get that. That's mm-hmm. you know worrisome or frightening to think about getting your heart broken. Um, and then the other piece I would just throw in there is um, there's a real difference in alcohol use on campuses now. So when we went – so there's no – it's not like there are more students drinking than when we went to college, but students are drinking more. Hmm. So binge drinking is um, has massively gone up. The, the incidence of binge drinking has gone up a lot. So – um, students by and large are showing up to parties drunk. So there's this whole like sort of pre game idea of like doing shots before you get to the party and maybe Todd, Todd we knows this. Todd knows oh. this. He pre-gamed?
1: Well, well, he pregamed, but you're what she's saying is maybe many of us did. You're saying we all, and that's not necessarily true.
0: I can only come at it from my story, but you're explaining my college experience. I mean mm-hmm. I would I would have twelve beers before I went out. Twelve. Yes. Oh, Milwaukee's best light.
1: Yes. Crazy. Now I get
0: hammered after three beers.
1: Right. I have one (laughs) glass of wine and I'm like, honey, I can't drive home. I know. Um, So, but I think what Alexandra is saying is that it's gone up though, is that your norm has become more people's norm. Yes. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. That's fair to say. Um, And, you know, I don't, I don't really know where to go from here regarding that. I mean, that's just kind of the way, I mean. I don't know. I, I always get <clears throat> triggered because like the hookup culture. Like I think of the '60s. The '60s were probably the biggest hookup culture, like free love and all that. So I kind of feel like I'm an old person right now. I'm that's 44 years old, saying the kids just aren't the same these days. Well, and let me well, take. you
2: right. That's right. I, I think it's yeah. It's <clears throat> it is it's. I think the another piece is just the. Um, yeah, it's something about the hookup culture, having it be a culture. Part of the culture is um, a culture of disrespect, low accountability, low yes. empathy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what... Yeah feels oppressive to many. And I think the number of people who, the number of people, what the research shows, the number of young adults who truly, truly enjoy getting wasted and having sex with strangers is very, very, very small. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a very small number. But what but it, but the culture aspect of it is it feels like that's the norm. It feels like I should be able to do that. And so then it feels like I'm failing at hookup culture if Got I it. can't do that. Okay. So that's a message that I try to give over and over again is actually what the data shows is not that... that script, that sexual script, is not really the truest alignment for the vast majority of people. So
1: mm. we got to talk about what, what to do instead. And that's what, you know, when you just said, I'm not sure where to go from here, I, in Alexander's book, I took something that I've been saying to a lot of people lately, which is this whole concept. And again, like she said, of hookup culture, yes, it's been around, but that it's been normalized is that kids feel it's a setup is what you say in your book. It's a physical, it's a biological setup because we have this experience where we're like, oh, I'm going to separate sex from emotion. I'm just going to have sex for the physical pleasure of it. Sex is not just a physical act. Mm -hmm. We biologically connect, attach, you know, all these things through sex or it, it creates you know we have hormones and chemicals and all these things that happen so then when a girl or boy uh, man or woman hooks up and then has emotions they feel like they failed because they actually feel emotional for this person and they're like wait a second I didn't do it right mm-hmm. I mean I'm totally paraphrasing but you talk about that in your book like and they come to you and they're like I, I didn't do it right mm-hmm. I failed I failed especially when you're a high achieving
2: student who is used to being successful it feels like a failure yes yeah that's that's a problem that to me is the is the heart of the problem of hookup culture.
1: Yes. Because, and it's okay, that's where you get into the vulnerability and everything to have those conversations where it's like we can be open and connected and intimate and emotional and know that we're not going to get married right away or that we Mm -hmm. have different, we can be vulnerable enough to have a a mature relationship where we are connected and we are intimate, but we're aware that I'm going here and you're going there and this may not be forever. But again, maybe I am like completely so 45 years old that I'm forgetting how difficult that is.
2: Yeah. I mean, no one's going to say it's not difficult, but there's, you know, the the piece about technology I think fits in here as well is that We're, we, all of us, whether you're 45 or 20, we're getting very used to doing the business of relationship screen to screen and so I think that that becomes like a self perpetuating cycle where the harder it is to say listen I really enjoy spending time with you but I can't make this kind of commitment if I can't say that to your face and I hide out behind my phone it becomes a cycle where I feel less accountable to you it's harder to be kind to you and so I actually tomorrow I'll do the lecture with the undergraduate students about like sort of the dating skills one of the assignments in my course is they need to go on a date they need to like pull off a full date
1: (laughs) I love it I would have
0: failed that class
1: so I know Todd didn't do a lot of that asking out on dates. So basically, what you're saying is they can't do it online. They have to ask someone to their face. They've got to, well, you know, they
2: can do it online, but they've got to execute the date face to face and the phones have to be put away. They've mm. got to just do like, a, you know, an hour.
0: It's inspiring and sad that that is something that is needed.
1: Uh huh.
0: You know? Uh-huh. Like, this is natural stuff and the fact that you're assigning it tells me that there's a need for something like this. Mm -hmm. So it's just Mm -hmm. weird.
1: What do they come back saying? After they do this, what do they say to you? Well, my um, – a
2: student last year was so – it was really neat. He was – he described being in a coffee shop and spending two hours with his phone in front of him, like wanting to call this gal that he had, you know, been interested in for more than a year and picking up the phone and freaking out and picking up the phone. <laughs> and it took him like an hour, a couple thing. of hours. And he – tell you know, we're all like waiting like on the edges of our seat as he tells us the story. And, and then he was so – proud of himself like he had the biggest thing I try to go back to is it's about the experience you have of yourself when you handle yourself when you step into that kind of courage when you step into that kind of empathy it's, it's what you're showing yourself about you. So he had the experience of being really, really brave, of picking up the phone, calling somebody he liked, asking her out, pulling off a date, you know, and, and um, he received a round of
1: applause from his classmates for doing that because that's huge. And it's such a memory because you said that. And the first thing, you know, again, our past comes with us, is the first thing I thought of was when I was a freshman in high school and it was like a dance where you had to ask the boy. And I decided to ask the sophomore boy. And it was kind of like something I'd built up in my head. My friends were, you know, your tribe supporting you and I was so nervous and I couldn't do it and he would pass me and I couldn't do it and when I finally did it and he said yes I mean nothing came of it we didn't date or anything we just went to the stands but I felt as if I could do anything yeah. after I did that I felt for empowerment like, I had not felt that kind of that feeling of I can do all I want to do like I even remember going and talking to my teacher the next day about something oh. I needed to I was like I am a new woman. I wasn't a woman. I was 14. But I, I am different. And that's what brave things do for us. Oh, I love that. Mm. I love that. Yeah. That's a great
2: example of Right. What happens when you when you take the more difficult road, but the more courageous road? Yes. Well, and as yeah. a guy,
0: and probably a girl, it's um, safer to not ask a girl on a date because if the girl says no, then I failed, and guys don't like failing at anything. Mm-hmm. So, the the path of least resistance is just never to ask. But to your point, meanwhile, we're a shadow of our former selves.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. You're, there's not the growth happening, and that's the thing: is to disconnect it. To you know, bring some Buddhism into to this is to it's not you're not attached to the outcome, because like I said, this boy who we remained friends, but nothing came of it. We didn't become this big couple. And it was just, I did this thing, therefore, rather than I did this thing. And here's what I got out of it. You know, this is what he gave me. Yeah. It wasn't that it was I did this, I stepped over my boundaries. So like you said, that's why people become a shell of themselves because they don't, it's not because they're not getting what they want. It's because they're not taking Well, and work.
0: this will be interesting because we sent our, one of our daughters to school today yes. and she had some issues with a uh, homework assignment and a teacher and she was really 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 nervous walking into school because she's going to have to have an uncomfortable conversation with her teacher. And I'll be really intrigued to hear. I have a feeling she's going to have a little bit of what you just shared, which is it wasn't that big of a deal. Like hopefully she can – build upon this experience.
1: Absolutely. Versus. Well, mm-hmm. She and I said last night, you know, cause she kept saying, trying to figure out another way to go about it. And I said, dude, you, this is something you just got to tackle head on. I said, your teacher will understand if you take responsibility, if you say what happened, if you say, if, you're, if you have the truth, nothing, you can't get hurt with the truth. I mean, they may disagree. They may even say you still have to get a C on this. Mm-hmm. I said, you may not get this, but you are going to feel. Good. You mm-hmm. will feel like you did something. So you're right, Todd. Mm-hmm. Sorry, got off track on a parenting thing.
2: Well, and I love that what I what you guys will affirm f- with when she gets home is not the outcome. Correct. Mm-hmm. It'll be the process of like, look yes. at you. Yeah. Look at you standing up, you know, standing in your truth with your teacher. Yeah. Yes. That's a, such a growing experience.
1: And that you literally, that thing that you were carrying all weekend just dissipated with your bravery. That, mm-hmm. again, you all those feelings of worry of what if or what if, you took care of it and it dissipated. You still may have things you have to do, but that heaviness of the what could happen, you took care of it. You mm-hmm. took care of business. So, Todd, I am totally going through these things. Yeah, like, I feel like – are you cool with that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So one thing that it, I wanted to jump to um, is because of, I like the language that you use in the book um, about using – when you're in a relationship, using your third ear – Mm-hmm. OK, because the language we always use is Stephen Covey's, you know, seek first to understand and then to be understood. But really third ear, <laughs> which is I just like simplicity. Mm-hmm. Did you did you get to this part? I did not. It's really about it's what I just said. Seek first to understand, then to be understood that in a relationship, if we really want to deepen or have that, you know, I guess it's a self-awareness thing. We have to explain what third ear means.
2: Yeah, it really is that listening. It, it is. I think our knee-jerk reaction, unless we are mindfully practicing a different way, our knee-jerk reaction is to listen to you in order so I know how to respond. Yes. I'm listening to you so that I know how to respond. Versus listening with our third ear is really like just stepping into a curious mm. space where we don't know. It's that mm. it's like you know that sort of like being the more we can be uncomfortable, the more we can be comfortable with not knowing. Mm the greater intimacy we create with our romantic partners. And yes. so, if I just take the risk of listening to you just to better understand you, it's a little scary because I don't know what's going to happen next and I don't have my response prepared and I'm not I don't my, my argument is not particularly sharp then, but what can I trust? What would it be like to trust that listening to you is actually going to probably be the solution to well, the problem. Yes. You know, the va- there's um John Gottman's research shows that right, the vast majority of fights that couples have don't have a solution. It's like some like 69%. There isn't a solution or an answer. It's just the fight is because both people feel
1: um too misunderstood to try to understand, mm. you know. Totally. It's, it, they're just, I mean, you guys can't see me, but, you know, I'm just like putting my fists up against each other. It's just they're, they're knocking into each other over and over and over again rather than taking a different route. You know, it's kind of like I get a visual of we just, you know, go head first into each other instead of try sidestep and try and do something different than what we would have done before. It's that definition of an insanity. We keep doing the same thing thinking a different result will occur and it can't.
0: Well and a lot of people say, Well, I'll do that, but they won't do that. So then all of a sudden you're back into the if to the transactional relationship. Correct. Like you gotta do it even if your partner's not going to do it. Right. Because what you're trying to do is role model what it is that you're hoping to cultivate. For example, there's been many moments in our marriage where I'm not pulling my weight or I'm zoned out or I'm traveling too much. And instead of you saying to me, hey, you're traveling too much, you're doing this, you would do things like thank me for taking out the garbage. Mm -hmm. You would make Mm -hmm. a shift. And that kind of put my, it it gave me the permission to put my shield down Mm. and to truly kind of connect with you. Mm. But what, that's really hard to do. That takes a lot of foresight. That takes a lot of emotional intelligence. And the only way to do that is to be able to hear stories like that. Like it's available. You just got to sometimes, I liked your word. I don't know if you said it, Kathy, or you, uh, Alexandra, but curiosity. Like when you're listening, be curious. Another word I thought of is exploration. Like don't wait for your turn to talk. Truly explore mm-hmm. by listening what it is that they're trying to say to you.
2: It's, re- it's such a powerful tool. It's really hard to stay triggered and in attack, blame, explain mode if the other guy has shifted to empathy. Totally. It's real hard to say. You start feeling like a real jerk. You, do. <laughs> you know? So whoever has got their like nose above the waterline, just a tiny bit, right? Whoever gets to that place first, if that if one of, if one person can shift to curiosity, like I, it sounds like you're feeling like this. You know, I can understand if I were in your shoes, I would feel like this. Whoever can do that first changes the
1: whole dance. Mm -hmm. Totally. And that's so true with parenting, too. That's exactly it, is that Mm -hmm. if, if you come at your child and you want to win or you're want to, you willing to fight with them and they come at you with their immature rationalization, which it should be because they That's are right. young, um, and you're going to fight back at that level and go back and forth, then there's no shifting. But if you, as you said, keep your nose above the water and say, I'm going to be very clear who I am in this picture and that I have... Experience enough to not engage here, and but you don't do it in a um, a hoity way. Like yeah. you know, I'm I'm not going to engage with you, but really, like you said, go the empathetic route. Kids transition; to, they shift too. Kids are like, oh, I didn't see it that way. Like you almost watch them like engage a different part of their brain when you mm. it, when they'll fight with you. If you want to fight like and and it's funny how quick like just a quick story Ted, the other night, I so wanted the girls to go to bed yeah. I was so wanted the girls yeah. to go to bed I, it was so late. I was like, oh my God, everybody go to bed and I'm not usually in that like automatic it's usually a lot of talking and discussion and slow in our house so it was interesting I went you know I went down the hall and I'm like, girls, get in bed, please get in bed and jC, my fourteen year old um was like. I am, (laughs) you know, kind of. And I was like, oh, see, when I come after you that way, she's like, you know, exactly like she's like. Uh, and I just realized how that, you know, again, I'm being repetitious about what we talk about on the show all the time. But when you bring that energy mm-hmm. to your partner or to your children, they're going to toss it right back. Complimentary mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. They're like, you bring me that, I'm bringing it back. Mm-hmm.
0: Here's uh, my advice for ourselves and for anybody listening. Um, if you find yourself butting your head up against the wall, whether it be fighting with your kids or fighting with your spouse or whatever it is, One piece of advice that I love to offer is do the opposite of what you think you should do Mm, (laughs) because what got you there is you keep doing the same thing over and over again. So instead of being catty or passive aggressive, do whatever that opposite is just uh, for the sake of exploration. Like, let's just see if this might work, but we are attracted to what's familiar. And what's familiar is when you say this, I say that, and here we go again, let's do this dance. Yeah, Uh, Do the opposite.
1: We call Mm -hmm. it the George Costanza because in Seinfeld, George decides one day that to, he's going to do, gonna do the opposite And then of everything, everything falls into
0: place beautifully. He, exactly meets
1: a beautiful woman. <laughs> yeah. he, you know, all these great things happen. So one thing I want to make sure we get to, because I know I'm, I don't know how we're doing with We're you, but 51 we're, minutes in. Yeah, so um, is self-compassion. And I wrote down, because I'm such a big fan of that. And it, it's, when I say fan of it, meaning I think it's the essence of most things. I mean, obviously self-awareness is the thing I talk about the most, but to even have self-awareness, you have to have self-compassion. You have to be willing to like, trust yourself and honor who you are. And you, in your book, I think I'm taking this directly from you, you said, um, be on your own team. Mm. Oh, that's so great. Thank you mean? for that. What be, does that mean? Well, well, I'll let Alexandra explain. Like, I know what it means to me, but it's her words. Right. So be on your own team.
2: Yeah. Th- just self-compassion, practicing self-compassion, just being being for yourself. Like, I, you know, I feel like so... Oftentimes, so often we'll take an emotion that we're feeling and very quickly meet it with a an critical analysis of why that emotion is not appropriate in yes. this situation. What if you're just on your own team and you're like, oh, hello, sadness. Mm-hmm. I wonder why you're here and let me sit with you for a little while. And it doesn't mean you have to you know, act on it or do anything about it or stay there forever. But what if we met what's inside of us with curiosity and love and a sense of kind of teammate-ness Mm-hmm. Rather than what what we so often do is like explaining it away, rationalizing it, saying why other people have it worse or it shouldn't totally. be. Totally.
1: The other people uh, have it worse crap. such an
2: easy, that's a, that's and like the easiest exit out of self-compassion, isn't it? Totally. Because
1: I get, can't believe I can't handle this when they have these things happening to them and I don't have a right to feel this way and I'm undeserving of even being You did that yourself sad. last week. I do it all the it's time. You had, a,
0: you had a headache and you thought about your dad who's struggling with some health issues and you're like, how can I really be complaining because I have a bad headache. I
1: did. And it did not make the headache any better. No. Not (laughs) only that, but then I couldn't even like be, you know, and again, I don't want to interchange empathy with compassion too much here, but I I wasn't, I didn't then have the capacity to take care of myself Mm -hmm. because I was instead beating myself up and therefore it's being extended. And I think the headaches come from that in the Mm -hmm. first place, Todd, I think you would probably agree that sometimes I get to those places where I'm just so hard on myself that there is pain saying stop. Right. You know, that you, I won't let you go this far anymore. But I love, um, I love be on your own team because I think it's something that even though we've heard, you know, when we talk about self-help or self-awareness, it's something we talk about all the time, but we have to be reminded in different ways. Like I even realized a couple weeks ago, I, 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 I don't do this every single day, but I do um, meditate and afterwards I'll do a prayer that's pretty quick. And I think about all these people and I pray for them and I realized I never included myself. Yeah. <laughs> And I, some, I, one of my girls pointed it out to me because I was explaining to her what I did. And she's like, <laughs> it was Sky, of course. Mm-hmm. She's like, and then you say something to yourself. And I was like, I don't. And that was a great awareness. That is a great awareness. Uh-huh. you know, let's, uh-huh. And praying for yourself only means I'm on my own team. But I,
0: what our ego says is you're not important enough you don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what, that. those are the some of the tricks uh, that our ego plays on us. But when I heard be on your own team, what I thought about is if I'm coming, uh, if I'm struggling with something and if I have the ability to displace myself out of it, so in other words, if my friend was coming to me with this problem, I would totally give that person such a break. But the fact that I, I'm struggling through it, I should be better, I should know more, I should be able to heal through this quicker. But, the minute that is it's outside of me, then I have nothing but love and compassion for whoever that person is. But if I'm struggling with it, then I need to I need to get over this really fast.
2: Well, that's my favorite. So so Kristen Neff is the yes. is the expert on, you know, she's the one who really operationalized and did research on this concept. And she has the three components of self compassion self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. And that first the self-kindness piece is what you just said like what if a very dear friend of yours sure. was in this spot if a very dear friend of yours had a horrendous headache you wouldn't say to her oh my gosh like woman up get over yourself da 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 power through you would be far kinder so right what, so that's a beautiful avenue I think back to self-compassion is that one and then I also love um, having an image of yourself as a child mm-hmm. and would you talk to that little girl or that little boy mm, the good. way you're talking to yourself right now that's another kind of like snap out of it tool about the quality of the conversation you're having inside of your head. I
0: love that. But here's the thing. I even have that awareness when I'm struggling with something and then I play that game of if my friend said yeah. this to me, even with that awareness, I, it still doesn't help me in that moment. Like I can't put that knowledge into practice of self-love. Like I know what's better for me, but I don't know how to implement Why? that. I don't know. I'd still get pissed at myself.
1: So, but then when you get pissed, what do you do?
0: I get frustrated, and it, and then I'm a grumpier husband, and I'm uh-huh. a grumpier dad until enough time passes, or you and I have a discussion, or so whatever. So it, it is. really
1: just is time passing. You don't have an, you don't have an exit path Mm-mm. out of that. Well, that's really interesting. That's your in. Then is that? I mean, when I say that's your in, but that's a place. That's a good self discovery place. Yeah, or yeah, trying. Yeah. We were just talking about doing something different. You know, and we were talking about doing something different in relationship to other, but we got to do something different in relationship to ourselves right, too. But
0: what's that thing?
1: What
2: about – so what about part two
1: of her like
2: sort of yeah. three pieces is common humanity? Yes. Like does it – like it helps me sometimes if I remember that like no pain is new pain. Like there's nothing clever about like when – I, when, when I have like stuff, I feel like I'm the first, last, only person <laughs> totally. who's ever dealt with this kind of a thing. And sometimes it helps me just – ease it a little bit if I remember that there's no pain, that's new pain. Mm-hmm. That
1: sometimes
0: is it normalizes a, it a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: and puts you in where you realize, you, again, you know, it's Kristen's language, you know, common humanity. I am part mm-hmm. of this. We are all part of this. When I walk down the street, I know this person that I'm, you know, making eye contact with has also experienced something similar and we're all getting up you know, and, and continuing in the world together. You know, that, that common humanity piece when I'm working with kids with fifth graders and eighth graders, that causes their shoulders to just release i'll say you understand all those things you know i'll talk about the voice in their head mm-hmm. you know if i'm talking about mindfulness or i'm talking about their own changing feelings and emotions and i'll say you know everybody in this room has the exact same experience right and they'll be like oh like because they don't right you yeah. know? that's what it feels like that's without self-compassion it feels like
2: everyone else has yes. figured this out but me yes I had such a powerful I was at um in the teaching in the military last week at the Merchant Marine Academy mm. such a powerful conversation with two young guys who just had started to peel back the onion a little bit with each other and talk a little bit about sometimes I feel like this and then the other guy was like no way I totally feel like that and they started going back and forth and they wanted so much to tell me that their discovery was that they weren't the only person who felt like they were living out of alignment, like with all the kind of like the knot of what they were sitting with. And so now they still don't have Mm -hmm. a way through it, but they at least are less alone. It was such like, it brought chills to me about Mm -hmm. like what it was like to watch these guys feel just a shred less alone because they were both deeply convinced. They each, each of them was convinced they were the only person. Like everybody else has this figured out totally. but me. It was
1: so cool. And that's where something like you know going back into you know social networking plays such a role and wreaks havoc on our brain because we actually look at pictures or we look at a tweet or we look at a, you know, and we think they have it together. Oh, yeah. They've figured it out. They're having fun. Like even my, um, my 12-year-old is not on social networking yet but my 14-year-old is and my 12-year-old would sometimes see you know she'll see my mm-hmm. her sister's phone and she'll be like everybody is out everybody's doing these things and part of the reason she doesn't have social networking yet is because those are discussions we haven't had i haven't said to her yet you know all those pictures are being taken like... Total they're, BS. Yeah, they're, and maybe some of them, they're having fun. It's not that they're lying, but it's a snapshot in time. It's not the reality of what everybody's experiencing all the time. And they may have ran, run into each other for five minutes and then taken a picture and separated. Not everybody, we have to be able to dissect that a little bit and recognize that we really aren't doing many different things than everybody else are. But people like to put up a facade or a or a story. And this is the thing, I, I don't say that with judgment because... I think that we all love to have a story. And so we like to put up a picture or say this is how things are going, but we all have to have enough self-awareness to recognize it's not all-encompassing, that Mm -hmm. within even that picture we could have been having pain. That's right. That's right. For sure. Mm -hmm. So –
0: In closing. In closing. closing. No, you got anything else?
1: Oh my gosh, I have like 50 things, but I I can't close with these because I'd open up a new thing.
0: Anything that you want uh, to share that we have not yet given you an opportunity to share, whether it be about uh, any topic, about the book, whatever. Anything...
2: Well, uh, I – it's been really – it has been – it was a really integrative – like, I don't think that I knew going into the book writing process how integrating and how much self-discovery I would do in the process of writing the book. So, um, you know, it's – that's a really big piece of it for me is just what what the journey, um, you know, was like for me and – so it's, it's been a cool, just a cool process to kind of write it and then to watch what it's doing in the world. It's been mm. really fun to have conversations with people who have, you know, had different ahas and light bulbs about, uh, about the work of the book. I've got a couple of, um, yeah, you're speaking things.
0: at, uh, Multiversity.
2: Yeah, this is a cool. That's kind new, of a big deal. We love this place, it's, this multiversity. It's I, beautiful. I call it
0: the West Coast of Omega. I mean, I'm I'm just making that up, but that's what it feels like. Well,
2: the pro, my understanding is that the, the programmers there are from oh, Omega. Oh, they are. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, there you go. So, I think it is kind of a, a very similar intention. Yes, yeah, so in January, I'll head out there for a Loving Bravely weekend, a deep nice. dive, experiential kind of uh, journey through the. You know, just through self-awareness and, how, and working on how we are showing up, how to bring our best self to our romantic relationships. And so is that for individuals or couples or both? It could be for anybody. It, it's, nice. It's, yeah, the, it's, it's probably for individuals, um, but of any relationship status. So this is, you know, because it's self-work, it kind of doesn't even matter whether there's somebody else and who Great. they are. So it really is about growing and understanding and kind of reckoning with yourself in the service of mm. love. Nice. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, do you have a website?
2: Yeah, uh, Dr. com. Dr.
0: D O C T O R or mm, D R? No, nope, just
2: D R dralexandrasolomon.com we'll put
0: that and, in the show notes too yeah.
2: social media, Instagram, yeah. and oh, yes. Facebook speaking of, the very same social media yes,
1: <laughs> yes, well and, and it's so true even with people, you know we talk about the kids but it's so true in our age group too is we'll look around on social media and be like oh all these people are doing this mm-hmm. but we then have the maturity and the self-awareness we mm-hmm. hope to mm-hmm. recognize. We have the developed
0: prefrontal cortex. We sweetie. do. Um,
1: well I want to say this again, I said this at the beginning about this book, about Dr. Solomon's book but it is so well done and I enjoyed it so much and I want to show you how many pages I... Oh, look at that. You know, <laughs> a lot you of that? dog ears. A lot I know. of dog ears. I know. A lot of dog ears, a lot of underlining and I actually used... We didn't get into this and I wish we would have. We'll have to have you back to sure. talk about boundaries because I actually ended up using your... Um, she has this whole box, like this table about how to understand healthy boundaries, porous boundaries, rigid boundaries and I used it in my women's circle and it created such a wonderful discussion. It's almost like just that box alone could be a two-hour oh, talk, yeah, right. mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm so thankful for that. Um, and She I'm,
0: starts out with a quote at the beginning of every chapter, and every quote is from somebody that we love.
1: I know. That's what I mean is I felt very at home with this book.
0: Maya Angelou, Ianla, Eckhart, Wayne, I
2: mean, you name it. They're <laughs> yeah. all here. I yeah. love it. Who the people she I she love. Uh, yes, I love picking out those quotes. Me yeah. too. That was the fun part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's
1: the thing is that now I have quotes from you. Mm-hmm. See now you it, mm-hmm. see that's what's it's all.
2: Funny. It's a big circle. It that is. was that was such a neat part of this whole thing. Is what a big circle it is. Yes. You know, it's the, the the book is. I mean, you know this from writing a book. Yeah. It's so deeply mine and so profoundly not mine.
1: Correct. <laughs> that's what we say about the show and about my writing too. Is that we'll always say nothing is new, mm-hmm. but the way you put it together helps people see all the threads. Mm -hmm. That's what I loved about this book is you took a lot of information because I really relate to you because you have Western and Eastern. Mm -hmm. And I really um, love the, I'm an academic in my head too. Mm -hmm. Like I love theory. I love what I learned in school. I'm very Western in some of my thinking. So you have a lot of those kind of research based, but then you have the spiritual element, which is let's look outside of the research now and talk about, you know, there's this whole section where you're talking about gut, you know, Mm -hmm. like instinct and and trusting yourself and so pulling those pieces together that's why i found it so i know the people who everybody who listens to this show if you like the show you are going to love this book and it's called loving bravely 20 lessons of self-discovery to help you get the love you want Alexander alexandra Selman. thank you so much for joining us
2: thank you for having
0: me oh it's a pleasure see you guys later Adios.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we hope you'll join us again next time. If you are a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us, or you can also just tell a friend about our show. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen Parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at kathy at zenparentingradio.com. That's Kathy with a C. Hey, next year's Zen Parenting Conference is March 2nd and 3rd, 2018. If you want to know more about this or any of our upcoming events, go to ZenParentingRadio.com and click events.
0: If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at ZenParentingRadio.com or on Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals, whether it's a relationship, parenting, career, time management, work-life balance, all that good stuff. Go to ToddAdamsCoaching.com, And uh, I also have uh, the first session is free, so it's really no risk. Or if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the Tribemensgroup.com.
1: If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It won't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon.
0: I want to give a special thanks to both of our partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, and keep on trucking.